Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, everybody. Just after 8 o'clock in the UK. Um, who knows what time that is, wherever you are. This is Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Hindoff, and up in London is Tim Gray. Hello, Tim. Hi, and John. On a packed pack programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We'll be doing some news in English. We might do some news in Spanish. Uh, we have Nick Damon with us. We don't have Shay Adam this week. She is uh, uh, on voyage. Well, no, she's not. She's now crossed the border, but she hasn't Has reached she? Uh, Virginia yet. Right, OK. Oh, yes, VIR this weekend, the Michelin GT Challenge. We'll be live with that on Friday, Saturday and Sunday in a choice of listening because we'll also All about that have later. A, yes, a bit of sound, extra sound and vision for you. Uh, did I mention Nick Damon? Uh, yes, I did. Richard Crail, we have Richard Crail joining us. Uh, oh, excellent. Are we waking up? That will be in the second hour when he's awake. Yes, uh, good. And our big interview this week is with the uh, former racing driver, uh, now retired, Johnny Molan. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Uh, of course, he's not, obviously. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us at Specutainment, thank you for all your apologies for absence. Let's crack on. Tim, play the jingle and let's get into the top story. Shuffle your papers, man. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story this week comes from Formula One. Hooray! Nick Damon is our Formula One correspondent. I am. Hello, everyone. Hello, John. Hello, Tim. Hello, the listening world. Uh, now, last week, uh, even though it's a silly season and Nick said there would be no Formula One news, there was some Formula One news. Yes, there was. And uh, we discussed it. This week, no news. No news, he says. Oh, you found news. Tell me the news you found, Tim. Fernando Alonso has turned down an offer to go to Red Bull. <laughs> I yes, this is brilliant. This is this is this. I just tell you, this is so. Um, what's the word for it? Uh, unverified. It's not even covered on the website whose name we don't mention. Who like unverified stuff? Um, this is a report in a Spanish paper. Mundo Deportivo, um, which apparently yes, Mundo Deportivo, which apparently has about the same reputation as World Weekly News or the National Enquirer for accuracy, um, <laughs> saying that Fernando Alonso was offered um, Pierre Gasly's race seat at Silverstone. Um, and he said, no, 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 I don't want it. Um, which, is, which is wrong on two fronts. The first one being he wasn't offered it. And the second one was, if he was offered it, 
he wouldn't say no. Um, so yes, it's what called a Spanish, a disreputable Spanish newspaper filling some column inches and amazingly getting picked up by some of the people who really haven't got their best journalists on and have copied and pasted it via Google Translate, of course. Uh, okay, so uh, that's a not a real story then. Well, no, no. But I think I think what may have happened is Mundo Deportivo may have been listening to last week's movie Motorsport and thought the points I made about him possibly joining were very good, and they wanted to fill the space in. Oh, let's pretend, let's pretend that we've been asked. Uh, what is Fernando Alonso going to do, though? No one knows. Nobody knows. Even Zach Brown, his erstwhile former employer, has no idea, and he's going to ask him at Monza. He's going to say. Fernando, what are you doing? As Zach said to us last week. Uh, But Fernando wants to do Dakar. Yes, apparently. Which obviously isn't in Dakar, it's in Peru. But um, <laughs> I don't think it's even in Peru anymore, is it? Is well, it I think you're right. Saudi I think it's Arabia? Moved again somewhere. Is, is it wholly in Argentina now or something? I thought it went to Saudi Arabia. It's in Slough now. It's well, the, no, uh, it's the think, Paris Slough right. rally. I think it's right. I think it's gone to the Middle East. Um, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? He, he, he appears to be just enjoying being in, in the news. If people ask him what he's going to do, and yeah, I don't even know if he knows what he's going to do. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him because he's available. And, and he's uh, not no a Formula One driver at the moment, so he is actually allowed to talk uh, yes, to, to anyone. But, but oddly, he didn't talk to Mundial Deportivo. He just was quoted as, as, as very obliquely as saying, he, he said, no. He said, if something scares you but it makes you happy, then you must do it. That's the essence of adventure, and life is a very important adventure. Right. I think I was talking about Dakar. I hope so. Uh, Okay, so uh, not do that one. Uh, Who's been getting abuse on Twitter? Everybody. It's shocking. No, that is the correct answer, so Johnny is correct. But it's shocking (laughs) that lovely, lovely lovely, shiny, sparkly-eyed little George Russell's be getting horrible abuse from Polish Kubica fans. And he's a little bit hurt. A little bit hurt about the whole thing as they've been being horrible to him um, as half his comments are from Polish supporters, Polish Kubica fans being horrid to him. Can you imagine that? People using Twitter to be unnecessarily horrid to people. Shocking. Uh, I've not come across anyone who's disrespecting me or giving any hate to me who are not from Poland, added Russell. So I appreciate the situation. Can only hope one day I have fans as passionate as he does. Yes, I think you know it's um, it is unfortunate that um, that uh, you know, the, the only thing we do know about Team Team Awful Williams it is that George Russell is significantly better than Robert Kubica. That's the only thing we know. We don't know anything else. We've no idea whether George Russell is actually any good. He's just much better than uh, than Robert. It's unfortunate, and I'm sure you know it's, it's, it's Robert is not the driver he was before he got injured. It's very, it's a lovely story. Unfortunately, he's not had the fairy tale ending due to the quality of the machine he's had to work with. But George has been doing a great job and getting better. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all pretty certain that George Russell will still be driving the Williams next year, and we're all pretty certain that Robert Kubica won't. Uh, last week on the show, we talked about uh, what Valtteri Bottas was up to, and last week. Uh, it turned out he'd been doing some rallying in the forests of Germany. Uh, this week in uh, What Has Valtteri Bottas Been Up To uh, <laughs> update, uh, he's been doing a duathlon. What's a duathlon? It's the one without the swimming, isn't it? Yes, it's a triathlon with no ah. swimming. Stay dry. Uh, so just, which is just odd, really, the running and the cycling, so nobody gets wet. 
but he, he's got he's got a, he's got an in-house pretty good swimming coach, isn't he? Yeah, His wife's an that. Olympic swimmer. Ah. Really? Yeah, she's an Olympic swimmer. Finnish Olympic swimmer. Hmm? Are you sure? Yes, I'm absolutely certain. That, that's not Heike Kovalainen's wife. No, because Heike Kovalainen's wife has not been on the screen in the last couple of years, looking quite you know broad of of shoulder because she's an Olympic swimmer. So on Sunday in uh, Pajulati in Finland, uh, they did a five-kilometer run, mm-hmm. followed by twenty kilometers on mountain bikes, mm-hmm. uh, followed by a three-kilometer run. Oh, okay. That doesn't sound very difficult for an F1 driver to do. Did he win? Uh, he was 11th ah. out of uh, 100 competitors. Uh, but he uh, did improve on his personal best. To what about... Biden? How, how, how long is that going to take him? Uh, 45 minutes? 50 minutes? Doesn't say. He's running, uh, he's running 8 kilometres. Probably about an hour then, I suppose. Uh, and all the money raised is going to children's charities. Excellent. Of course it is. Excellent. I ran a five k at the weekend in Blackpool. No, 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 this weekend I did at Milton Keynes. I was, I was, I was in the top four hundred out of six hundred. You know, don't want to show off. Um, Were you doing <clears> it as a one tenth scale though? No, no, this was a full size <laughs> run round Willard Lake. But yeah, it would probably be more successful than a scale run. To be honest, Nick, <laughs> can I just tell you, you are becoming the middle aged bloke that nobody likes. I am becoming the man I personally despised. <laughs> That's fantastic. You have a home gym in your garage where you should have more where you should have more classic cars. I know you have one classic car in there, but you also have half of your garage is a home gym. Wrong. Get up I get up early and run round the pavilion like a word I can't use on the radio. Oh I despise myself on a half hourly basis. <laughs> mm. uh, who thinks there should be fewer calendars on the Formula One calendar? Uh, well, not f- you, because you fewer, love a calendar. Fewer races on the Formula One calendar. Claire Williams. Yes. Do you know what that is? <laughs> it, uh, because, because they wouldn't be so far off. They wouldn't be last so often. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Uh, and who thinks that Friday practice shouldn't be abolished? Uh, Toto Wolf. Yes, because he he likes. I I personally agree with that. I I the, the key. I there's constantly talking about changing the weekend format, and I and I realise I come from the generation that can hold concentration for an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> but I don't see an issue. With, I I've, I think the format's fine, and it's good for for building interest, and it's good for the circuits to get people in on the Friday. They should make a bit more of the Fridays and they perhaps should make them a bit cheaper and perhaps get kids in and everything else. But um, I think it works fine. I think it's a very good format. I think they're, they're, they're floundering around thinking they've got a problem. And I'll tell you right now, if F1 wanted to improve its viewing figures, take the blimmin' thing off pay TV. That's the simplest way to do it. You get them back in two seconds. But, you know, no, no, we're going to have a reverse grip. We're going to you know, enthrall the YouTube generation. No, don't. Make them learn to look at something for more than 10 minutes. Who thinks that uh, Formula One should uh, have uh, different uh, circuits on its calendar every year? I don't know. Who who thinks that we should, we should find more crook? Uh, this is Cyril Abitbul. Is that because he's fed up of losing on the same circuit and wants to lose on a new circuit? <laughs> That's harsh. It's true. 
I, I, I didn't say it wasn't true. I said it was harsh. Look, they've, they've managed. They've managed somehow to, to, despite Red Bull moving to Honda, they're still the second best Renault team. That's a fair point. Well made and beautifully presented, Nick. Thank you. Uh, I know that they've put a lot of engineering effort into Vietnam, he said. It's something we could all... <laughs> so 1963 and 1974, a lot of stuff <laughs> went over there. Stop it. Uh, all ten teams should collaborate on uh, improving the tracks. We could come up with some fantastic results. As a, and we don't need to wait until 2021. Well, we do, because next year's calendar's already been announced. Okay, fine. Oh, this is this is oh this is part of a longer interview he gave where he was saying that the best way to do everything you want to do with the cars is not to change the cars at all, but to change the tracks, wasn't it? And he was saying you need to re- if you remodeled the corners at all these tracks, you wouldn't need to bother about changing the cars, which is also which is right and also wrong and also very impractical. Why yes. is it right and wrong? Well, because he's, he's factually correct, but it's it's not the way you solve the problem. And also, most of the tracks have reasons why their corners aren't that shaped to begin with. So, you know, there's natural features, massive grandstands already built, um, no more track to go to, um, a river running around the back of it, all that sort of thing. And how does Zamport fit into that? Very badly. We're, 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 I think Zamport is a marvellous money spinner for the Dutch economy. Too many people want to go. They'll sell 300,000 tickets and no one will overtake anybody. So let's hope that Max puts it on pole for the locals. And and the surrounding areas, of course, is a area of outstanding natural beauty or a nature reserve or whatever it is. So it's not like you want to extend it as well. So that is oh, a, the local, a And the locals have moaned, haven't they? They've got they've got the NIMBYs have been moaning. NIMBYs um, being not in my backyard for those of you who aren't UK. <laughs> yeah, they're, and they're, they're, so they're they're being held up in some of the things they want to do, and some of the amendments they they actually want to make may get held up a little bit because of the um, the various protests that have been put in, which are actually ridiculous. Because I tell you something, nothing. I'm, I reckon the DTMs are noisier than the uh, the F1s, and obviously obviously there's a bigger crowd, but it's like a couple of days. It's not the end of the world. I'm not sure it can be a bit bigger crowd, though, Nick, can it? Because there's only so many people you can fit in. You and I have both been there with Kravendik races. And uh, they're looking at getting uh, 120,000 in on race day, which to me is interesting. And it'll be very busy because that's a single road in a single road out track. mm -hmm. Um, The infrastructure is not built for it, but. Hopefully, they've learned the lessons from Ricard, and they haven't got the same issue going up a hill, and they will get people parking six miles away and everyone coming in by bus that actually works. Bike. And bicycle. Bicycle is how everybody's got to come in. The reason is, despite however much people love Max Verstappen, if you, we all saw what happened in year two at Ricard when they lost, they actually lost 45% of their, of their crowd because people couldn't be bothered to go back there. Mm-hmm. So, well, no, that's not nice. true. That's not true, Nick. In fairness, let's let's you know, let's be absolutely honest about that. Forty-five percent of the crowd was still there from the year before because they hadn't been able to get out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'd love it, but yeah, but it, it just goes to show that things like traffic management, which for years were the bane of the service, but now is actually pretty well sorted out. Um, 
you know, oh, that is so important. No, no, no. Listen, I love Silverstone a bit, but their traffic management, thanks Northamptonshire right. Police, who actually aren't very good at policing and certainly aren't any good at trafficking um, anything. Um, no. Well, it's it's better than, than the 90s. Have I ever told you the story about when I was coming out of Silverstone and met a car transporter coming the wrong way up the road because half of the road that was in a traffic management phase had been changed from two-way to one-way, or something <laughs> one-way to two-way, and the other half hasn't because the guys who were changing the bollards round hadn't actually got it right yet. That's how good Northamptonshire police are. That's an old story. That's not from the last two years, is it? No, no, it isn't. It's from a few years ago. What what I have to be honest with, the the only downside is, is was that fabulous smug feeling you got when you were riding out on your bike. And you were out on the bike and you were just literally cruising past people for miles. They weren't moving. And you're thinking, I'm going to be, it's going to literally take me five minutes longer than it would do normally. You've got seven hours. Or when you use the East Gate. Or went Mm. out through the golf course. Mm. I, well, I, went I, out, I went. I remember going out through a golf course. The, the golf course you know, once. I, I got in, we used to go in out from the golf course um, uh, when I was working with Fom. I used to. I, I went out through the golf course because I had finished at maybe nine, ten o'clock in the morning after I'd done the breakfast show, and I had that year. I had a Land Rover Discovery. Actually, really? Didn't break down. Stop. That was when. That was when they were actually still okay and um above and beyond and i drove out and it was all coming in that way and so all i did was drove out and then went on the grass and the 18th fairway or whatever it was through a couple of bungers uh a little bit of sort of off the fairway and drove down to do i think i was doing a thousand k race yeah it was Mans that weekend race. yeah i was in the passenger seat I- yeah, and I had to pick up Mark Cole on the way out, and oh, that was that was how we got out of there. That was that was magnificent. Um, however, yeah, Silverstone, prob- have- there was one problem, John. You got a two straight penalty for that. <laughs> yeah, I did. yes. In in fairness, that is true. I did get the two stroke penalty. Just, um, but you know, uh, me me mashy niblick still hasn't been the same since. In fairness, <laughs> well, that's your age. <laughs> you should never try putting two stroke into a discovery. It's not going to go well, very far. That's a fair point, well made and beautifully presented as well, Tim. Um, in in fairness, Silverstone have done a wonderful job in getting people in and out of the Grand Prix over the last few years. And considering how Silverstone are situated geographically and how the local roads are the way that they look after the bits that they can actually look after that are theirs is very good mm. the problem is that the local law have got to um, you have to pay the local law for your traffic management plan and um, having worked at Rockingham and had to have the local law look after your uh, traffic plan unfortunately northamptonshire police are not very good 
actually. The they other complication a, is it Northampton Tube. They don't have a traffic department, for, first of all, <laughs> which, which is a really, really a big problem. Northamptonshire Police obviously is responsible if you come out of the circuit, turn right and right again. But if you were to turn right and then left, you're uh, entering the realms of Thames Valley Police uh, after not, not very far. And if you Just were to turn there. left, then you're in a different force altogether. That's correct. You're absolutely right, Tim. You're absolutely right. Well, let's anyway, uh, stop talking on. about uh, traffic management and uh, move on to Haas. Or Haas. Yes. Uh, they have a dilemma. How they many? Have... They, how many of their drivers to sack? Uh, indeed. Um, <laughs> will it be one? Will it be two? Gunter Steiner says he's uh, going to wait for the rest of the driver market to play out before making any decisions about next year. Uh, right, let's see right now. For who? Who is he waiting right for? Well, they—they—they they, think they, they were a potential place for Esteban Ocon to go if he wasn't picked up by Mercedes. This is what will happen next year. Mag, uh, Kevin Magnussen will still be driving for Haas, and Roman Grosjean won't. You heard it here first. They can all well, you oscillate said that as much as they like. That's what's going to happen. Or the week before. You said that ages ago, actually. I know. I know. I mean, this is all very good playing the game and everything else, but that no no team in its right mind, unless they suddenly get offered like a holy grail of drivers, which is a bit unlikely. Um, then no, you never want to replace two drivers at once. It's certainly not in a, in a continuity season. You know, doing it in t- between tw- between twenty and twenty one, where the cars change completely, possibly. But in a continuity season, you want to teach them continuity. Whose whose engine have they got? A Ferrari. Ferrari. Okay. So who? There's no one left on the Ferrari plan. They're not, and Giovinazzi, who's obviously there, is, is, is a little bit wobbly at, 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 at Alfa Romeo. So, yeah, there's... Who knows? Interesting, the, the, one of the drivers, the driver they fired last year um, for being a bit of a precocious oik, um, Santino Ferrucci, is doing a rather good job in... Uh, in IndyCar these days, and it appears to have mended his ways, and they and they think he's lovely. So, uh, you know, perhaps he'll get back to the four again. I don't think, I don't think Pietro Ferrari, it's Pietro Ferrari, Pietro Fittipaldi is you know, a, a particularly hot prospect. So, um, yeah, it's all up in the air. I think Pietro Fittipaldi is a very hot prospect. Unfortunately, yeah, he's in a terrible Audi in a terrible championship. Well, according to Townsend Bell, of course, all of the things that people are saying about Santino Ferrucci are completely false. No, he was an absolute... Mm. I can't say anything. I'm, I'm trying to think of... I've got, I've got, you, you I've need got to speak You need to speak to the team for whom he still owes nearly half a million dollars before you say that, Townsend, I'm afraid. Mm. Yes. But anyway, mm. so um, well, there's a couple of... Um, oh, and the yeah. FIA who banned him for... Oh, what was that? Driving into his teammate for no apparent reason oh. and trying to kill him? On the slowing down just, lap. Uh, oh, yeah, in fairness, it was yes. on the slowing down lap. Yes. Yes, that's yes, right. That's much better than racing lap. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, so he's, he's doing... So, uh, Haas, basically, we s- s- scuffing around... Because, yeah, Hulkenberg might become available. Yeah, he's obviously better than uh, um, Grosjean. Grosjean so, you know, there's a few that may pop out. Uh, how are Haas going to help Pietro Fittipaldi? Are they Ooh. going to give him another test? Yes. Ooh. Because testing is uh, the equivalent of super licence points, which he's not getting by driving a terrible Audi in a terrible touring car championship. 
do you get points from DTM? You do. Well, you really? would if uh, you weren't in an Audi. Mm. Trolling around at the back. So, so sorry. <laughs> sorry. So what's the point about Fittipaldi driving for Audi? If he was in a better car, he might be winning races or at least so scoring the, points. So he's in a DTM and it's not going very well for him. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's doing uh, better for him than uh, Jake Dennis or Ferdinand von Habsburg, um, but otherwise, no. Not. It's just Ferdinand Habsburg, isn't it? You're not allowed to call him von Habsburg. Uh, you ought to tell that to the person who compiles the DTM's entry list. Mm. Well, and the commentator then for DTM who never calls him von Habsburg. There's a Austrian thing though, isn't it, about that? Possibly. Which is tre- treasonous or something. I can't remember which way it goes. Well, is it treasonous to call him von Habsburg or treasonous to call him not von Habsburg? I, I don't know. I, I doubt it's actually treason anymore. I don't think the, uh, the, 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 the. I think from my memory, the Austro-Hungarian Empire was kind of wound up in 1918. But okay, then moving on. I'm not sure where we go after that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey. Let's go to two wheels. Oh. Hooray! Uh, no MotoGP no. this week, no. Uh, and no World Superbikes. Although I'm oh, told no. uh, that Ooh. there is a uh, MotoGP 2019, uh, sorry, 2020 calendar, uh, which is doing the rounds, but it just hasn't got as far as me yet. Well, if it hasn't got as far as you, Tim, then really it it doesn't matter at this point because you do love a calendar, don't you? I love a calendar. Mm. I've had no calendar news from MotoGP yet. However, we did have motorcycles on the mountain at the weekend. Yes. Not a mountain. Oh, it might as well be a mountain when you get both wheels off the ground. Another fabulous crowd for... British superbikes. Do you see any of it, Nick? Yep. I tuned in a couple of times. I got to see... Um, well, I didn't see what happened to Scott Redding in the second race, but he got punted off. And um, He wasn't happy. He was not happy. He was, he, I think he was holding himself back from clunking in one because he remembered he, A, he's wearing a helmet, and B, you get banned. Um, <laughs> who, who, who was it? It took him down? Andrew, Andrew Owen, wasn't it? It took him down. Yeah. Um, but we didn't see what it was, apparently. But as Owen got penalty points and everything else for being out of control, it obviously was his fault. And, of course, that was the last of the standard rounds of the season, wasn't it, Tim? They're going to the super chase for the cup for the thing, don't they, next? Uh, well, the uh, failure to finish for Reading means he's mm-hmm. lost the championship lead. Yes. Yeah. Well, Josh Brooks. It kind of doesn't matter because he's still in the race for the chase for the cup for the thing. But he's not yes. leading that because Josh Brooks has got more podium points now as well. By two, it doesn't really matter anyway because um, Reading's the one who's going to get the Ducati contract in World Superbike. So um, you know, I love that track. I love, love, love that track. Many, many years ago, I, I did. Fell off there. Did you where? Uh, top of the hill. Which which hill? Um, so you go around. So you go around. Pass start finish. Turn left. And then you go up the hill, then turn right, and I fell off turning right. Mm, before you went down the avenue. Yeah, I, it was just basically appalling riding. It was no one's fault apart from my own. <laughs> and and what bike were you on? 
on the Ducati 851. This is 1991, 92, my first bike. Um, and, you know, so I was known as the rich, uh, so obviously everyone down there goes, who's that rich idiot who can't ride? It's Ducati, because they were very rare in those days. <laughs> I went there about the same time um, and rode a uh, Yamaha 404 and then one of the very... Those little 400 were so much fun, weren't they? Oh, they, that was great. My friend so had I the rode down, one. I, I rode yeah. down there on a Suzuki RF 900, which was my road bike then, and then got onto the 404, which was a Graham board, uh on slick tyres, which is the first time I'd, I'd ridden on slick tyres. And then... I'm trying to think whether we were in the era of the R1 in those days or no, whatever the R1. What was the first? In. Just yeah, got but the fire blades in. But what was the Yamaha equivalent in those days? Uh, the YZR1000. YZR1000. That's that's what I was riding around there. And Chris Walker was <laughs> doing the... Walker the Stalker was the guy who was doing all of the instructing there. And I did a set of knee sliders in an afternoon from not getting anywhere near getting my knee down. And round um, Park, the double right-hander at the end of the avenue where you fell off, I actually managed to get my elbow onto a six-inch high marker cone on the apex. So I didn't get my elbow down. But I got so close to it, and through the gooseneck, um, from big, from from tottering through there in second and third, going through there in fourth and fifth was just extraordinary, and going over the mountain and getting off the ground at the mountain, that is the only time I've done a bike track day, and it was on somebody else's bike, and I absolutely loved it, and then decided I'm never going to do that again because if I do that again, I'm going to hurt myself. <laughs> well, you know, I've fallen off at several tracks and I've yet to actually properly hurt myself. <laughs> <laughs> on your own bike? Yeah, always on my own bike, yeah. Yeah. No, respect. Who fell off at Cadwell Park on Friday and therefore wasn't able to race on Saturday or Sunday? Oh, I don't know. Who was it? Luke Mossy. Oh. Uh, he spent uh, 20 metres above the g- ground at a height of six feet. Excellent. Which seems like an odd mixture of... Uh, no, I'm, I'm very happy with metric. Metric Imperials. Um, it, it, I think that's how it should be. That shows us embracing <laughs> our true heritage and the future. Uh, he then slid across the tarmac uh, onto the grass on the far side of the circuit, uh, narrowly missing a, another rider. Good. Listen, if you've not been to Cadwell Park to watch motorcycle race, but first of all, have you been? A, you've done a track at Cadwell Park, Dick? No. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. at Cadwell. Right. I've never been to race at Cadwell. How narrow is Cadwell Park? And remember, they used to race British F3 round Cadwell Park. It's not a car track. It's not a car track at all. It's just a bike. They track. used Perfect to race. Track. They used to race cars around. In fact, they still do race cars around Cadwell Park. I've yeah, got a feeling they that. race British touring cars around Cadwell. I've got a feeling they didn't, uh, but they certainly still do race cars around there, and I believe they're racing cars around there this weekend because Johnny Palmer will be commentating on them. Really? Yes. 
I could not believe, even when I went there on a bike track day, how narrow it was. Narrow for a bike. And then I remember seeing British F3, I think with Warren Hughes, in the 1990s, racing round there. Um, and I cannot believe that they raced downforce cars around there. When the old barn was still at the old barn corner, it's now not. And, I mean, it was just extraordinary on the loop over the top of the mountain and round the back. There was no, no margin for error because there was a, you know, a wall there with, yeah, well, obviously it had protective hair builds there, so everything was fine. I mean, it was, it's just an extraordinary place. I remember Chris Walker saying to me, when you come up over the top of the hill and onto the avenue, um, that's Charlie's, isn't it? And he said, you're lifting off too much there. And I went, I can't see where the apex is. He went, what, do you think it's moved since the last time around? <laughs> oh, yeah, fair point. Right, fair point. So just commit to it. And that was the first time, long before I had a, a race license, a, a car race license, that was the first time I realised that people who raced anything were a different breed. It, oh, it's just a great track. And it's a fabulous place to go and watch. And if, you have a, if you're in the UK and you haven't been to Cadwell to go and watch uh, any kind of motor racing. And, and So what's on this weekend, Tim? It's in Duo Car. Oh, KA? Yes. So this right, is right, for quite thin. this is for Ford cars. Uh, no, these... they're not made. I I, ra- I raced uh, at Donington when I was doing the um, radical there. The K- the Ford car was there, and uh, there was twenty odd cars there. No, I meant Bradley narrow rather one... than thin field. They're quite oh, narrow. Okay. No, no, that's very good. That's probably just as well at, at Cadwell Park. Sp- specifically, um, these are the Mark One. So the ones produced between 2002 and 2008, they have a 1.3 litre engine, uh, and the rules include uh, mandatory driver changes and pit stops. Well, Bradley, um, I think, was at Snet, or I can't remember if he was at. He did Alton Park on one day and Snet on the other um, a couple of weekends ago when Ford Cat was there. I saw them at Donington, and JP, so we've got a good RSL coverage of, of car. Anybody wants to offer me a cat drive, I will, I'm in there, because I saw them when I was doing the Radicals, and they were great fun, and people bring a car, and bring a spare car on a trailer. It's extraordinarily good stuff. Uh, if you stuff. want to go along, uh, free practice is at 9am, qualifying's at 9.55. Saturday? Lon- this is on Saturday, yes. Lunch is at 10.55. The race starts at midday for six hours. Six hours. Fantastic. Can't <laughs> think of anything better. It's probably the most uh, exciting thing you'll see at uh, Cadwell Park as well, despite what we were saying about British Superbikes. Going well, back to British the, Superbikes, though. Unless Peugeot GTIs go there, and th- more up, th- there's an opportunity for me to go and do a Peugeot GTI race later on the year, and we will be reporting on that here, which I'm looking forward to. Yes, British Superbikes. Uh, so Nick mentioned the chase. That actually happens after the next round, Nick. Ah, right. Oh, Alton Park, yes. Um, so uh, the drivers who are currently in 7th and 8th still have a mathematical chance of getting into 
Oh, I misread it. Yes, I didn't see that was in part one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, standings as it is at the moment. Josh Brooks has a twelve-point lead over Scott Redding. Tommy Bridewell is third, a further th- uh, sixteen points behind. Uh, then Danny Buchan, who uh, got his second win of the season at the weekend, is in fifth. Sorry, fourth. Uh, Taron McKenzie is fifth. Uh, Andrew Owen is sixth. And just outside uh, the top six at the moment, Peter Hickman in seventh. And. Uh, Chevy. It is Chevy Forez is eighth. So he disappeared yeah. off the bottom of my screen. And then key I point, the, back key again. point of that, Tim, is that those, those, the two who are in, the two who are out, five, six, seven, eight, are only covered by 10 points. Yes. yes. So that's all very changeable. Uh, and, and Hickey and Xavi Forez are on a rich vein of form at the moment. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, Nick Damon is joining me, John Hindoff, and Tim Gray, who is up in London. Where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, we'll start with some bikes. Right, excellent. Uh, because Danny Kent's not going to be racing one again for a while. No, he's been a very, very silly boy. Um, ah. And has been convicted in the British court for... Um, but he's been convicted of carrying a knife. He's not... The, the, the grey areas, whether he was going to use it or whether it was there for any use or whatever. He got into an altercation with someone in the car park and he had a knife on him which he says was due to needing it for, un- for his job opening boxes in a packaging environment. Who knows? Um, but as you probably know, Britain's in the grip of a bit of an epidemic of knife crime issues and there's zero tolerance for it. So if you're going to have a fight and there's a knife in the back of your, in your back pocket, you're going to find yourself in trouble. He's found himself in trouble. I think he's avoided prison. I think he's got a suspended sentence. But obviously no one was touching the barge pole as far as being a rider's concerned. So all the, the future rides he may or may not have had, he's lost, which is a... Um, a, a downward spiral from a man who won Britain's first moto crown back in what 2015 he won moto 3 yes so very sad but he's a silly boy and unfortunately sometimes you just get what you deserve well as a uh, as the child of a law enforcement officer in the UK who and whose best friend Joe Bradley was a law enforcement officer who had to go out and ply their trade every day protecting us as I was going to say citizens we aren't citizens are we we're subjects, subjects. here yeah um, then I, I kind of don't have a lot of sympathy to be honest um, we don't do knives we don't do guns and there's no reason to have one with you uh, in a social situation is there to be honest, so Danny, Danny mm. Kent not being able to go to Cadwell Park because he'd been sacked uh, left the door open for Gino Ray. Mm. Poor old Gino Ray. Rhea. I know. Uh, and uh, he uh, got on very well with the MV Augusta despite having no time to practice on it. Did he? I, can't, I haven't got the full results in front of me. How did he do? He scored some points, which That's is the first uh, points that bike scored all season. Well, I was, going to say, bike, I, I was going to say, the MV's not been the easiest bike to ride this year. So for Gino Rio to, to, Rio to get into that and to pedal it to the front of the field and get some points, actually, fair play, it's got to be said. Uh, it, it's, 
it's another one of those bikes nick where um everybody who's ridden it has has kind of scratched their heads a bit mm. and uh whether it's because it's too hot top heavy when it's full or whether it it hasn't got the balance when it's getting empty nobody's really be, been prepared to tell us the truth about the bike but gino has got on it and has got a result and you've got to say fair play i mean the thing about the mv did you know when i had an mv i had an mv Augusta yeah i know you had an mv and um yeah you you go and you go and watch it in the in, in the garage and look at it but you had no great desire to ride the thing um <laughs> it was a, very strange uh, on a number of levels um but they are achingly beautiful but they you know the, the problem is you know the mv augusta factory isn't making that many bikes and and you need a huge amount of investments to, to catch up with the, the kawasaki's and the ducatis of the world so you're fighting a, a losing battle to begin with um so yeah i mean i think it's a it's a good looking bike it's good to have the machine in there but it's, it's, it's it needs more investment uh, always been the case frankly let's move on to indycar Ooh. And Pocono. Ooh, okay. Yes. The tricky should triangle. We, should we move to Pocono? Or should we go back to Pocono? I don't well, know. We'll be going back to Pocono. We're going to Richmond instead, aren't we? Are we allowed to say that yet? Uh, I'll tell you what. There's no... You look at tracks and you say, is it the danger? Is the track dangerous or is the way the people race there dangerous? That's a serious question. Mm-hmm. You look yeah. at that, you, you look at the first lap of, you know, 200 laps, and uh, we had a five-car incident, which at many other places would have been a three- or a two-car incident, and whether you think Takuma Sato was in the wrong or not, he was... Rear wheel, the front wheel on Rossi. Uh, he'll he'll say that he didn't get the call from his spotter, and he was gaining on Scott Dixon so quickly that he needed to dive inside. Uh, Rossi will say, "Why did he cut across the front of me?" And Ryan Hunter will say, "What the hell happened?" Because he was down the inside and didn't know anything. Um, Felix Rosenquist will say. I was minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I was pointing at the oh, sky. I think, I think Fiat Rosenquist would be saying several words in Swedish would be principal in any language. Uh, and Hinge will be going, I can't believe what's happened in front of us. I basically had to put... I mean, Hinchcliffe put his car into the wall to avoid what was going on. Nobody hit him. He just had nowhere to go. And, and I don't say that, by the way, as any kind of criticism for for the mayor of Hingetown. It was just like, are you kidding me? I literally have nowhere to go. I'm going to have to drive in. The, I'm going to put my car on the wall. And he put the car on the wall to try and hit, stop himself hitting anybody else. Um, That's a newly married mayor of Hingetown, of course. Yes, that, no, no, absolutely. Uh, and damp uh, as it was, because he, uh, he and his lovely bride ended up in a pool, uh, according to his, uh, his social media. I... I read something interesting, um, a quote from Stephen Wilson mm-hmm. about this. And said, he has got, he's got a reasonable, uh, he has got a reasonable um, reason to talk about that, given that his brother, what happened to his brother there. Yes. Uh, he said, a few years ago, 
I worked as a spotter for an Indie Lights team at Pocono. Mm-hmm. And from where I was based, I couldn't see that part of the track. Yes. Well, they did put some extra spotters in at turn two on a uh, a trailer, basically. Not sure it was high enough up to to help them. You can't apparently you can't see it from the from the top of the the grandstand. Um, listen, after after turn one, after sorry, after the incident on lap one, the race was pretty clean, and the accidents that happened were made, no, they were all single car accidents where people just made mistakes. So if you have a robust driver's meeting and you calm people down on the first lap, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And when Scott Dixon, who I respect massively, and 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 some of the other drivers as well, even some of the drivers who are were involved in that five-car accident said, you can't really blame the track. You've got to get people to calm down. Now, do I think Sato was reckless? No. Do I think that because track position is so important there, and he had a massive run up the outside, and was thinking to himself, oh, I might even get Dixon here if I dive down to the left before turn two because you can't go around the outside at turn two. Remember, there's only three corners. That's why it's called the tricky triangle. (sighs) I'm not one of the people who are going to turn around and say, Sarto needs a ban. I I think think that is a knee-jerk reaction. I think what it needs is a robust driver's meeting, uh, some respect from all of the drivers at the starts and the restarts. And in fairness, the restarts were pretty clean. Um, It's a shame there was a decent crowd there. It provides decent racing. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. Now, it's not the same as it was three or four years ago, five or six years ago, certainly, where those it's a flat oval and, you know, those flat, fast corners. It's become a different race there, undoubtedly. But I don't think you can, blame, I don't think you can completely blame the track. Uh, Nick, your thoughts? Um, I did look at some stuff on social media, um, I think... Tuesday, maybe Monday, um, where Sato put an onboard from his own camera, which wasn't on the TV, which showed that he actually carried on going straight. Oh, really? Didn't cut anyone. I think it's a lot more nuanced than Sato came down and chopped. The problem is, of course, that people look at steering at steering wheel angles and don't realise that they don't point, point straight when you're going straight in a, on an oval. Mm, um, good point. And there's elements of did Rossi move up? Then there's the way they track curves. But there's a um, you know there's no necessary scene that Sato particularly drifted that much. The idea of a really lovely, sensible meeting is lovely, John. But these are racing drivers and. The thing about Pocono is, is it encourages very wide runs with multiple lanes down the straights. So you get, you know, they, they've got a famous picture it's of very wide. wide. So it's wider than Indianapolis. Wider yeah, than Indianapolis. 
a fan. They're going to fan out, and they have to unfan again, whatever the, whatever the, uh, <laughs> the reverse of fanning is, as opposed to condense back up again to get around to the corners and not on the grooves. And, you know, it's you've got seven or eight. You're, gonna, you're always going to have eight, nine, ten cars in the middle who are very, very, very close, and, they, and they'll be in six different lanes and trying to get into two. And these things are going to happen. Now, the actual accident itself wasn't he, he, that here's much. A question. Of, here's a question, though, no, no, Nick. Was the was the were the circumstances exacerbated by the fact that there was no proper qualifying, and therefore everybody started in championship positions rather than how fast their cars were? Yeah, that can't. That I mean that's a good point. That can't have hurt. Helped. Sorry. Um, the only thing I would say is that the accident, accident itself was fine. The only problem was what happened to Rosenquist. We end up end up skidding on top of the, the barrier. That's the thing. That's the worry. The, the other four cars. Well, no, that's just that's IndyCar racing on an oval. They all walked away. They all damaged pride and annoyed about the whole thing. And as you point out, they weren't in the right order, which, which can't have helped. But the Rosenquist up and riding on the fence is just unacceptable. The, the repair of the fence with a piece of Harris fencing tie-wrapped onto it. Now, in fairness, we saw exactly the same last year after the horrendous... I mean, we were probably three feet away from another Robert Wickens accident, as we saw there last year, um, and possibly six feet away from a Danny Weldon fatal accident at... Uh, Las Vegas that we saw a few years ago and I was at Las Vegas and the catch fencing absolutely did its job in keeping the car inside the circuit but it was you know the stanchions that that caused the problems for the driver when your driver's head is on that side of things uh, do IndyCar have to look at the safety features and 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 literally tie wrapping a piece of harris fencing hmm. on onto a patch there and they did exactly the same last year that, um, let's let's make no bones about it after wickens's accident last year it was exactly the same so and we're it's not not, not just the ovals they do this they do this at road courses as well no, if, that's if true. a fence is that's damaged true. that's exactly what they do and they have their own safety team and their own Bits of fence pre-made that they carry around the country with them. Is that well, as of next year, they've got the, the it's the aero screen coming in next year, so they've got their own version of um, Halo, haven't they, as well, which obviously gives some protection to strikes on the helmet. I I, I do the the um, deflection device, which is on the front, which basically looks like a, a um, the sat nav aerial on the front of the cockpit that actually seems to work quite well from the slow mos that we saw with a huge piece of carbon fiber heading towards i can't remember whether it was hinch or rossi actually now but um it it deflected that over the top now okay you're not going to get the the protection that you would get from a halo or a aero screen to sideways impact from a, a wheel, somebody else's wheel in particular, um, riding over the top of you. But I've got to say, I was really impressed by that for the, the, the little shark fin that's in front of the driver's head. That seemed to work really well. 
Yeah, yeah. It does seem to work. They were, they were certainly, you know, as it was, everyone walked away. It was all fine, but they were lucky, I think, certainly with um, Felix Rose and Chris Saxton. But I, I get the impression that they, that possibly the uh, the Indy cars may have outgrown that circuit. Mm. Okay. Or perhaps perhaps modern attitudes have outgrown that circuit. I don't know. Mm. Your thoughts, please, on at Specutainment uh, for that. Has IndyCar outgrown Pongano? Mm. Uh, the race was eventually stopped by the weather. Yes, by by the weather seven miles away uh, with lightning. Yeah. Um, and let's not forget, we did have a fatality there in a NASCAR race with a spectator being uh, fatally struck by lightning. So you can understand the reticence to continue with lightning in the area. And it certainly was. Uh, the race was called before there was a drop of rain on the circuit, Nick. Yeah, they they evacuated all the grandstands because they're solid metal mm. grandstands. So that was what that's why it's seven miles away. It needs to give them enough time if it's coming to evacuate the grandstand. So um, any potential strikes don't cause the same issue as before. Um, mm. it was, yeah, it was a, it was unfortunate, I and mean, obviously they hadn't had the accident where they lost forty five minutes under red flag. They would have got the whole race off. But, uh, if yeah, good question. You know, yeah, no, very good. Will Power then continues his uh, season's running streak, uh, winning streak rather, uh, 13 years now, I think. Just made a... me feel old. Because I remember <laughs> when he went there and I thought, if you said, how many years has Will Power been in IndyCar? I go, oh, this is about season seven, probably. Something like that. No, 13. He's had a race in, thir- he's had a winning race in 13 consecutive seasons. He was happy. He's had a horrible ra- uh, season this year. They did, they did. I mean, they played the tactics really well. Uh, Scott Dixon... Uh, yeah, but he was very, very lucky because he was actually off the pace and then got exa- he came in last exactly as the yellow went by. So he cycled into the front, into second place due to mm. having a lucky pit. I mean, lucky's part of it, because I think he, he was at the back because he had a slow puncture. So it's it really roundabout. So he, he cycled forward during that point and then... Uh, Simon Pagano, who'd looked unbelievably quick the whole way, suddenly had some rivalry. Now, Pagano looked great in clear air. He never looked good in traffic. Uh, Will Power, as you rightly say, he came in early uh, because he had a slow puncture from the uh, original accident. And then, uh, yes, he got lucky with the first caution, but I think he dropped out to seventh in the second caution. I'm doing this all from memory, by the way, so I apologise if I've got this wrong. Um... But then he'd saved a bit of fuel and he was he, he was allowed to turn it up. And once again, Penske got the timing absolutely right. Scott Dixon, uh, an odd one for him because Dixie looked pretty cool. Uh, I mean, do you complain when you've halved the deficit to the guy at the top of the championship? But he would have thought it could have been a better day for him. Um, whatever they did when they changed tyres, and changed pressures and changed front wing angle on the car. It was meant to work, but it clearly didn't because he was struggling horribly uh, in in that last pit, after that last pit stuff. Uh, but you can never bet against Dixie. And now from being 98 points away a couple of or three races ago, Ohio, I think, he was 98 points away from... Uh, Joseph Newgarden, who still leads the championship. He's now down to 52. Uh, Rossi, horrible day, tried to get back out and get some points. Uh, didn't really work for him. 
Got a uh, ten penalty for well. working under the uh, red flag. Yeah, that was interesting because in the in in previous races there's been two or three lap penalties given. So well, both him and five minute red flag though, so they got a lot ah, of work right. done in that time. Right. Okay. No, yeah. well, well that makes sense. No, I, you know, I'm I'm you've converted me. Seems uh, reasonable. Will Power. Mm-hmm. Uh, has now won more races on super speedways than Helio Castro Neves has. Excellent start. Helio Excellent most start. At, at Indy. Uh, yes, Helio won all but one of his at Indy. Mm. Uh, so we got four drivers still in the, in the in the the hunt. It's Gateway next weekend. Yes, um, it's four hundred laps left this season, or just over four hundred laps left this season. Which means that those four will probably still be in the fight. Rossi, not happy. Um, um, Newgarten, not a great race for him, but not disastrous. Bizarrely, has one of his wor- uh, less good, let's say, races of the season in terms of finishes. But actually, opens up, opens up his. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm hearing large capacity engines outside the window at the moment and police car sirens, which is quite interesting. Um, One's uh, probably opens, related to the other. Uh, almost certainly, Tim. Yes. Uh, so Newgarten has one of his less good finishes of the season, but opens up his lead to Rossi, uh, which after his, let's be honest mistake at mid-Ohio, he's got to be happy about. Uh, you've got Pagano and Dixon closing in. You know, it, it's odd, isn't it? The top four, Rossi's not out of it yet, even though he had a horrible race. You've got the top four who all taken something out of that. You've got Will Power, who's won a race, who's dead happy as well. So, uh, interesting race, I thought, at the weekend. And a lot of people who came out of that happy for different reasons. Who has completed the most laps this season and why was he not so happy about the weekend? Uh, I Was that... Is that Ferrucci? Ferrucci. He's done all but four laps this season. Um, but he thinks uh, he had a car that was good enough to finish top three at Pocono. All right, can you upset about the rain delay then? Wait, rain rain short, shortening. Uh, third would have been his best finish of the season. Uh, he finished fourth, which equals his best finish of the season. Uh, his average finishing position on ovals is 6.75. <laughs> um, listen, I thought, notwithstanding everything else we've said about Santino and his issues in Europe, I thought he actually drove really well. I thought he interviewed really well as well. Um is everybody deserving of a second chance? Uh, probably. Um, I'm sure his his former team, for whom he still owes a lot of money to, might not see that. But uh, he showed a lot of maturity. Uh, he didn't go for passes when he didn't think they were on. He did when they were. Uh, I thought his interviews were very good indeed on the TV. Um He's a little turrier, quite clearly, little little bloke, tiny little in terms of stature. 
massive in terms of determination and aggression. I don't know, Nick. You know, he's come out of Europe with a uh, a, a, uh, a situation and a, a reputation that that is is not good. Uh, and I'm I'm not going to say that that isn't deserved because I think it was absolutely deserved because he's he, he earns his own reputation. But I've got to say he's doing a lot to put that right in the states. Yeah, well, he seems to made the most of his fresh starts. He said, but um, yeah, there's a lot of um, baggage that he's going to need to. Uh, oh, good, to good word uh, for the for the Europe. Uh, just to prove we're live. Uh, it's going to be 2-1. Is it? Excellent. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, are we on episode 32 now? Yes, we are, aren't we? Still, yes. Yes, as, episode as we 32. An hour ago when we started it. Uh, episode 32 from series 14. Uh, Nick Damon and Tim Gray are with us. That's your first hour, done and dusted. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Still to come on Midweek Motorsport, we will have Richard Creel as we look at all things Antipodean. And, well, quite frankly, there's a lot of news from Down Under right now, and quite a lot of it is around a single individual. And it's not Creelzy, but he will guide us through everything that is important as far as down under motorsport is going on and we're not just talking about right now we're talking about going forward into 2020 because they're already ahead of us that's how it works uh, but coming next it's our big interview and johnny mullum joins us on midweek motorsport as we talk about well sensible things with jmo that's next on midweek motorsport midweek motorsport on radiolamon.com Big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport is Johnny Morlam. Delighted to say he's joining us on the phone. JMO, hello mate, how are you doing? Hi John, very good, very good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right actually, I am, I'm, I'm all right. Um, it's been a busy time for you. I, I tried to bump into you at Le Mans, but we were both too busy, so we haven't had a chance to have a proper catch-up for a, for a wee while. I, I know the listeners love having you on because you you. Tell it, oh, tell it as it is. You're too kind. You flatter me. No, not at all. Uh, I, I always enjoy being on, and I always enjoy the. Well, it's nice actually to talk to someone first and foremost that knows what he's talking about, <laughs> and then know that actually you're also being listened to by people that know what they're talking about, and actually probably know more about it than I do. Well, <laughs> I was just so, talking uh, about it's, commentary. It's the, a pleasure. Just talking about commentary the other day, funny enough, and seeing how things have changed, because it used to be the commentator had all the information, and now with the way that everything's out there on the World Wide Web, pretty much all of the people who listen or watch have more information than the poor so-and-so in the commentary booth. Um, anyway, since we last had you on, um, yes. you have returned to international motor racing, which wasn't the original plan, was it? So how how's that come about? I know everybody's been on to you and having a laugh with you about, you know, more more comebacks than Frank Sinatra and all that sort of thing. But but that was never... You and I have talked about this many times before, sometimes on this programme, sometimes over a nice bottle of white. But yes. uh, that was never the plan, was it? Well, actually, 
it was never not the plan. True. Because when I set up Red River Sport Agency, and I, I'm not going to bang on about Red River because I know the listeners are probably sick and tired of having it around down there. <laughs> not at all. But when I, when I set it up, the whole point was to take amateur drivers uh, and, and capitalise, as we know, on this new platform that's been around for 10, 12 years, however long it's been, but seems to be really growing in popularity that allows a bronze amateur gentleman driver who is still very good so if he was a golfer he'd be probably playing off plus two plus three plus four something like that um but but obviously not at a professional's level mm. to go and compete on a stage starting maybe on a track day going to brick car endurance race or gt cup and then moving literally to the highest pinnacle they can do which is the le mans 24 hours and nowadays that really involves if you want a guaranteed entry doing the fia world endurance championship so when I started, it was my dream, actually, to have clients come through who would ultimately, maybe one or two of them, would get to that highest level where I could take them from real grassroots racing or even just track days and take them to the point where they're racing in the FIA World Endurance Championship. But I never dreamed that I would stumble across somebody like Bonamy Grimes who would be as committed and mm. naturally talented as he is. And when I say committed, I don't mean mentally committed. I mean committed in terms of his time and his effort that he puts into something, who would progress in the space of three years from never having done a track day to being someone who is capable of not looking out of place on a, on a World Endurance Championship grid. Mm. And so I kind of figured when I started Red River Sport that by the time that happened, we'd be five, six, seven years in, at which point I'd be going around about 84 seconds off the pace and it wouldn't be appropriate for me to be driving with whoever that person would be. And I was always trying to keep driving with various clients just because I love the sheer thrill of driving. And as I've banged on about many times, it's not about um, a comeback. I'd retired from professional motorsport. Yeah. So if you're getting paid by a team to race, to me, in my mind, that's very different than when you're going out there and basically you're being a professional coach or mentor to a gentleman driver and you're in a pro-am environment rather than a pro environment. Yes. So I've never seen this as a return. I don't see myself as unretiring. I accept that everyone likes to have a laugh and I'll take it on the chin. But <laughs> from my point of view, it's all about Bond. But and it's so nice to be able to be in a position where you, you don't have the pressure really loaded on your shoulders where you know you get out of the car... James Rossiter, for example, gets in it and then he gets out and you get back in. You're thinking, geez, mm. I'm going to have to go out there and match that now. And you've got somebody out there who's blisteringly quick, you know. But in point of fact, Johnny, yes, all right, you're back as a driver, but you're back as Bond's mentor rather yes. than a hired gun. So that is actually quite different, isn't it? It's very different. It's absolutely, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head there. So, I mean, I feel like I've got a proper job now because when you're a racing driver and you're a professional racing driver, it's very, very blinkered, very self, you're very self-centered, very insular. So you're focusing on yourself to be as good as you can be. And then when, with you, when you're with the team, you're working with your teammates and your engineer to make the car as good as it can be, but all the time trying to improve yourself. Because part of being mm. fast is also being able to improve the car and work on setup and compromise with teammates and all of that. But ultimately, it's, it's very... Um, it's very blinkered and it's, it's kind of one direction. You're all pulling in the same direction and it's, 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 it can be very stressful depending on the situation you're in um, and it can be very stressful in between races as well when things aren't going as well and you, you're working hard to make sure everything, you don't get yourself into a downward spiral or anything. But it is very uh, focused in one direction only. 
Whereas now, doing what I'm doing with Red River and running this this agency, I am the person that uh, looks at the opportunities that are out there for wh- whichever one of my clients it would be. Using Bon as an example, because we've obviously talked about him, when he came to me and said he wanted to do the World Endurance Championship and did I think he was ready, and I said, look, you know, how ready do you want to be? Because ultimately, yes, you're not going to go out there and be quicker than some of these other bronze drivers because they're incredibly experienced. But you sure as hell are ready to go out there in terms of be in that arena. You're not going to you're not going to look out of place, you know. Mm. And um, he said to me then, you know, I really really want to do that and I want to try and and be as 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 good as as I can be. And so at that point, I was thinking, well, let's let's make let's make this happen. Let's let's work towards doing something where I then go and put programs together. I said to him, we looked at Porsche, we looked at Aston Martin, we looked at Ferrari as options mm. in the GT Pro-Am Championship. And I literally went to him and I said, these are all your options. These are the numbers. And ultimately, everything is his decision. But all I can do is put in front of him. And that in itself is hard work. Then I'm sorting out personal insurances. I'm sorting out flights. I'm liaising with the team to sort out hotels. Hey, welcome I'm, to I'm, my world, kidder. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying to you. It's like having a proper job. So, so then all of a sudden, you're not just spinning one very, very tall plate on very one long, long stick that's very difficult to keep it upright. You've suddenly got, albeit probably shorter plates and shorter sticks rather and, and, and plates that aren't quite as difficult maybe to keep them all spinning, but you've got about 20 of mm. them. So it actually... It is difficult, but in a different kind of way. And the the difficulty I'm having, and this is something that I'm working quite well, and Bon and I get on very well, and we become friends, and I consider him a teammate almost. I don't consider him uh, like a, a, an amateur driver, really, mm. in some senses. I treat him just like a, a teammate, um, as I would someone like Matt Griffin or someone like that. Now, obviously, uh, there are elements where, you know, with Matt Griffin or someone like that, apart from the... Uh, stuff that happens out of the car you you recognize that you know what he's capable of as a professional driver so i'm not trying to put matt down in any way at, at no. all but in terms of the you, way you're talking about on, the personal relationship exactly yeah. the personal relationship but it's it's really interesting to see how that sort of gathers momentum and you're working towards doing something with them and focusing on them and i sometimes you get drawn especially when things are competitive and maybe you <laughs> go out and you, you're quick and maybe you you're doing well and suddenly you have to avoid getting drawn back into that old scenario which is your default setting where it's all about yourself and that's something I've got much better at I hope and I hope Bon would agree over the last year and a half two years of making it about Bon genuinely making it about Bon and that's one of the reasons we picked Charlie Hollings well, that was good. third as well. Well there's my next question because I was going to say how hard or easy was it to pick the third to, to pick the third driver because, right, first of all, you've got to make sure you've got the right balance in terms of gold, silver and bronze. And yep. you and I have talked about driver rankings for a long time and we'll not reopen that kind of uh, worms at the moment, although there's still a special in there somewhere that I'm desperate to get you back on again to talk about as we did a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, so so you've got to get that balance right. Yes. Uh, but you've more f- in, in some ways, I, I know that fulfils the regulations in getting that balance right, but surely more fundamental is getting a personal balance right well, between guys chose, in the team. Yeah, that's why we cho- chose Charlie, because one thing that 
Um, interestingly, I was talking to Francois Perodo, who drives with Collard, and, and, and Manu Collard, a phenomenal driver, <coughs> excuse me, obviously used to be a phenomenal, incredibly phenomenal driver, but obviously he's getting slightly older now. But Francois said to me, one of the things, yes, he could have picked maybe drivers that are quicker than Manu, but bottom line is he's his friend. And mm. you're going to be spending, especially in the WEC, you're going to be spending a lot of time together, whether it's on planes, in hotels, at restaurants. And so getting that dynamic right, where you've got somebody that you can enjoy their company outside of the car, away from the track, while you're traveling to and from the, the races, is just as important as having someone that you feel has got your back when you're in the car at the track. And that's yes. why Charlie is good for all of us, because I know Charlie from old. He's part of Red River Sport anyway. Um, he brings a lot to the party, other than just you know the fact that I think, personally, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised by how quick he is, because he's gone into a bit of a coach mind, driver coach mindset over the last three, four, five years. But let's not forget that back in the day, he was racing you know, single-seaters at a very high level and doing extremely well. So he's quick. There's no two ways about it. But more well, he's, importantly, he's earned his chops in tin tops as well. I mean, he, he's raced in Australia. Yeah. He's raced in British GT. He's raced in GTC. He, he yeah. knows, and we, we've seen him in the Kravetnik races. He knows which way is up there. Oh, absolutely. And he does, and, and all of that. And, and the question probably by some people when I've said it is, oh, it, you know, the slight surprise based on the fact they didn't think he was quick, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but more important than that, for Bon, it was very important to actually have someone in the team that he knew he could rely on because yes. there will be times when I'm there doing what I need to do, maybe working on the car, the setup with the engineers or whatever, and the fact that he's got Charlie there, who he knows will be able to sit down with him, go through the data. Correct. I've had Charlie in the past when I was still racing at IMSA, you know, do races with Bon, brought him in to do races with Bon. Um, and uh, so Bon knows him very well, feels very comfortable in his company as a coach as, as much as as a person. So I think the dynamic, and Bon is all about getting the dynamic right. Obviously, he wants got to do well, but he wants to go and have fun. And so I, I'm hoping... It will work very well. There's a bit of pressure on Charlie when he came to the prologue because obviously he needed to get out there and prove that he was quick enough to everybody. And I think he did that very successfully. And now he can relax a little bit and go and do his job, which is ultimately to go out there and be as quick and consistent as he can and hope that none of us make mistakes, which can happen to any of us. Of and going back to what I was just saying to you before, I mean, the one thing I've realized, you go out there and I'm at, I'm at the WEC prologue and it's almost like I'm thinking I can feel it's seeping into my bones <laughs> from five, four, five years ago, whenever the last time was I was there. And, you know, you're there and Collado's there and Molina's there and Fisichello's obviously in the Pro-Am Championship fighting against us. I mean, obviously Collado and Molina in the factory cars in Pro, which is where I used to be. But, you know, you're talking to Fisichello and you're looking at him and he goes out there and, you know, and he's still blisteringly quick. You know, obviously not as quick as he was 10 years ago, but he's still very quick. He's still very much, I think, in a Ferrari in am the benchmark mm -hmm. and you go out there and you can just feel yourself getting drawn into that competitive element and and that's why it's good for me to have someone like charlie is. there who can keep me on the straight and narrow and make sure that i don't lose sight of the fact that i'm i'm now there for the red river sport clients yes. and i'm there for bond and i'm there to make sure they're as good as they can be and they improve as much as they can and they have a blooming good time whilst that's all going on. Ask you a couple of quick fire questions. Um, yeah. That uh, when you've been talking there have come up 
to me. First, first of all, you mentioned different manufacturers there. So, yeah. you know, why Ferrari? Why? I mean, there's 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 not a huge choice of GT. E machinery, not as much as there would be in GT3 or GT4, but no. why Why Ferrari uh, other than, I, I mean, uh, you know, some of them don't have proper f- um, customer programmes, um, but Aston no. and Porsche certainly do. So why Ferrari yeah. over those two? Well, really, I mean, you could have looked at Ford, like obviously they, they've done in, in the past. Um, well, you saw, you saw at Le Bon mm-hmm. with Ben Keating, but that, I think that was far too complicated, and that would have been a step too far at this stage. So really, in my mind, there was three. It was Porsche, Aston, and Ferrari. Obviously, we'd done the Asian Le Mans series mm-hmm. with Aston, with TF Sport. We knew them. Exactly. Um, and, I, and, I, and I was actually thinking, personally, you know, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but I thought initially we probably would end up doing it with them. Um, they're a great team. They're very competitive in, in, in every area, to be honest. And uh, the guys that work for Tom, he runs a great, a great team. Well, Tom really knows good. which way is up as well, doesn't uh, he? Exactly. And I've known Tom for years, mm-hmm. and that's why we did the Asian Le Mans series with him. Um, and so I, you know, ultimately it wasn't my decision; it was Bond's decision. But where I can come in is obviously I do have quite a lot of contacts at Ferrari. Yes. Um, and so I was in a better position to talk to the factory and talk to Amato AF Corsa, mm-hmm. um, given my background with Ferrari, which I don't really have with Aston. Okay. And and, and off the back of that, all of a sudden, they showed a real interest in getting us on board. And so, and ultimately, of course, Johnny, I, just put, I put all the I put all the numbers in front of Bon, and mm. he's not he's not a Ferrari man or an Aston no. man or a Porsche man. He just wants he's a the best man. environment yeah. to go and race, and we'll see what happens. So it's all about BOP. I've just heard that the BOP from the prologue is remaining the same, which okay. I find rather surprising given the pace of the Porsches there. But um, obviously that's, you know, you're never going to get away from that no matter no. what you do. You know. But but ultimately, um, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't even matter what Charlie thinks because ultimately exactly. the golden rule is the man with the gold rules. You're there to maximise your client, in this case, yeah. Bonamy. Um, yeah. uh, uh, y- y- your job You'd be not doing your job properly as a Red River Sport uh, principal if you yeah. weren't maximising his enjoyment and his value for money. Now, I dare say there probably wasn't that much difference, and I don't need to know, and neither do the listeners. But ultimately, no. he's got to feel comfortable. And yeah. if he feels more comfortable in a Ferrari than he does in a Porsche or a Ford or, or anything else, at, at that point, yeah. there's, there's nothing more to be said, surely. Well, exactly. No, there isn't. And, uh, and, it's, and like you say, I'm fully transparent with my clients. And like you say, it's not something I want to share on the, uh, you know, on, on this interview. And like you, you know, you wouldn't ask because you know you, you you're not like that. But I'm fully transparent with all my clients, and literally, you you put everything in front of them. And it's not just the money side of it. It's no. there's a whole bunch of things. There's all there are pros and cons for every single uh, manufacturer, every single team. And we literally drew up, a, I drew up a list of all the things I thought were pro, all the things I thought were con. Then I talked to Bon about it. He threw a few more ideas in. And then he made a decision based on all of those. So obviously the financial aspect is a part of that. And that's thrown into the mix. Of course. But, but quite honestly, that's probably not the most no. important. No. That, I, I, that wasn't I, I, the most important. Put it this way. It wasn't just based on how much each no. one cost. It no. was more to look at what he felt 
was the right environment for him to go and race and, and have a good time. And, I, and it was really strange for me that we've ended up at, at AF Corsa because back in the day when I was with Ferrari, the Risi Competizione team were yeah. kind of the AF Corsa of their day, yes, so the factory drivers got placed in that team. Yes. And so over the years, I've been racing against AF a lot, but like Amato keeps saying to me, I've never actually raced under his umbrella before. Oh, that's true. And so it's actually quite nice for no. me to actually finally get a chance. And I know... I walked into the garage and like my engineer that used to be with me when I was at GPC at Ferrari and I was his first ever engineering job back in 2007, I think that would have been. And he's now one of the top engineers. I walk in and he's, he's sitting at the desk, you know, so I know, I know half of them there, but that wasn't again, nothing to do with the decision. It was just nice for me to walk into a garage, especially one that's running six cars and uh, and actually know about 50% of the mechanics and, and engineers that were already in there. No, and, and another client on another day might have made a, a different choice. Um, why why WEC? You guys did the Asian Le Mans series. Was the temptation not to maybe come and do ELMS or even go across and do something in IMSA? Obviously a little bit more difficult uh, regarding going to IMSA with a, with a GTE programme or a GT Le Mans yeah. programme, as it's called over there, because you'd be up against... The, the factory teams, but but ELMS and, and go for it. Well, for you a probably know the answer before I even answer this question, and it's basically the big race at the end of the calendar, which is Le Mans. Which is Le Mans. So that's and, the only way uh, to get the guaranteed entry. It's the only way to get the guaranteed entry. And when we started this journey, Bon and I, we had Le Mans 24 as our end game. We didn't know if we were going to make it, but we had that as the end game. So Bond's been very focused on that. Yes. And he doesn't just want to go, he doesn't want to just go and do it once. He wants to go and do it a few times. Yeah, The good first for him. time to learn and the second and third times to hopefully get better and better. And ultimately his dream, and he's already, already won his class <laughs> at mm. Le Mans, so uh, in the uh, Aston Invitational Race yep. on the Saturday morning, a couple of years ago, but his dream is to win his class at Le Mans. Good for as him. I'm sure, and absolutely good for him, as I'm sure is the same for many of the bronze gentleman drivers that are out there. Well, and everybody but, listening to this, if they were in the same situation in terms of financial wherewithal, if the Euro yeah. millions drop this weekend, you know I'm going to be on the phone to you to do exactly the same thing, as I'm pretty certain... I would expect nothing less, John. <laughs> <laughs> I want In fact, I'd probably be on the phone to you, mate. <laughs> Say, come on then, boy. But uh, no, that's I want me to read, though. I want me to read. It's not mutually exclusive, any of this, no. because ultimately we are still looking very seriously at taking in some other key races, because mm. although we've now kind of sort of thrown our hat into the WEC ring, there are other races out there that we still want to do that not just Bond, but other Red River Sport clients want to do, mm-hmm. such as Bathurst, such as the um, uh, Kyle Army oh. races, you know, whether it's in GT3, whether it's in GT4. And this is the beauty of Red River is that we're not just sticking, you know, to one particular championship or even one particular, one particular manufacturer, let alone, you know, one particular type of car. We're still racing in the Ultimate Cup Series in, mm. the, in fact, Bon and I have another two races to go this year that we're going to be doing mm. in the uh, Norma in the Ultimate Cup Series, which we've been doing very well in, and, and things like that. So the, the WEC is a fantastic championship, and it's the pinnacle of our sport in terms of sports cars. But actually, it's only eight races yeah. spread out in the, over the course of nearly 12 months, sort of 11 months. So mm. it's, it's not particularly 
time consuming because no. you still only go out for five or six days. So it's mm. maybe a week at the most each time. So you're only really tying yourself up for eight, nine weeks of the yeah. year. Yeah. So there's plenty of other opportunities to go and do other races. And we will we will be doing other races. Bob mm. will not just be doing WEC. He will also be doing other races in, in completely different cars. Well, there's, there's lots of these bronze cups now where you need two bronze drivers. <coughs> I know. <coughs> <coughs> Um, sorry, just right. clearing me throat there. Okay. Just, just reminding you. You've still got a license, John. National B, mate. National B. International B. International B. Yeah, of course. Very good. Um, don't sound so incredulous. We had a chat at Radio Le Mans a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just winding you up. <laughs> uh, final question um, yes. on this, uh, and thank you for your time. Uh, you, you've, you've talked about coming back. Um, and doing this in a different role. Yeah. Serious question here, and it might be a difficult question to answer. If you had, if Bon had asked you to come and do this, and you said, do you know what, I think we can find someone else who can do this, and I can still do my job, but I don't need to be in the car with you, would you have done that? Would you have stepped back? Um, 100%. 100%. If... If Bon, I mean, we've kind and you of... know why I've asked you that because we've had this conversation before, and and you, this was not some, and I'm, I'm coming back to where we started here. This wasn't something that you'd planned to get back in a car, no, in wasn't. a world championship. It, it, it wasn't. It really wasn't. Um, I'm enjoying my racing probably more than I've enjoyed it in over a decade. Brilliant. Purely because I'm in the car working with someone else, I get as much satisfaction out of Bon qualifying well or getting it on pole <laughs> or whatever. As I do, if if I do, in fact, maybe even more. Plus, you get a um, bit of peace and quiet away from booking flights and hotels and visas and all of that. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but I love I I do love the driving side of it, and we've had this conversation before. And mm-hmm. there are certain other drivers who 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 like the winning, and that's what mm-hmm. most motivates them. The competition, and I like a bit of competition as much as the next guy. Otherwise, I wouldn't have ended up in this job. But. But I do love the sheer joy of driving. And if I'm in a car that's fun to drive, you could literally stick me on a track, make sure I've got a predicted lap time so I can actually try and beat my own time. And I don't care if someone's timing me or not timing me. I'm just getting a sheer kick out of driving that car and trying to better my own lap time throughout the course of the day. And I love, I love that. And uh, so this is affording me an opportunity in Red River to carry on sort of, of stoking that sort of... Um, scratching that itch, so to speak, because I like to think that I'll be a bit like Mike Wilds is, and at 71, 72, I'll still have opportunities to actually race on the odd occasion and race cars, because I think it keeps you young, and I think it's just blooming brilliant. I mean, it's just such an amazing feeling, and it's an amazing thing to be able to do. So there's that side of it, but at the same time, if I'm not capable of delivering in the car the job that I need to be doing for my clients, then of course I'm going to take myself out, out of it. At the moment, I'm in my 50s now, John, as you know, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that Bon and I have started in this particular adventure together, and I think that Bon wanted to try and see it to fruition all the way through to, to, the, to the end, to, for mm. us to get to race at Le Mans together, given that I can remember vividly the first day I met him and we went to Brands Hatch Grand Prix circuit, which is only three years ago, wow. and I put him in a Ferrari Challenge car. And at that point, he'd never done a track day. So his first laps with me next to him, sort of coaching him around that track, and then to end up racing together at Le Mans. Fantastic. I mean, in terms of cool, that's going to be up there 
including my professional career, some of the coolest things that I've done during my motorsport. Well, and, and take life. it as a massive compliment as well that uh, that you've been able to do that and that Bon has the confidence in you to do well, that. Well, it's nice you should say that. I mean, I always keep thinking it's really down to Bon because he is very good. So I'm not really sure. I've, I've guided him and tried to help him as much as possible. Early on, it was very easy because obviously he was learning so much in terms of just the mm. driving side of it. More latterly, um, I think I'm helping him as much with the mental side of things and coping with the pressure of having to go out and be under pressure to qualify, for example, and things like that. When when not to push too hard, when to hold, when to know when not to push, when to go, when not to go. All of those things are aspects that I'm helping him with probably more now than just saying, oh, by the way, you need to break 10 metres later here and turn in a foot earlier and get on the throttle three three feet earlier, you know, rather than that side of it. So yeah. it's interesting how, <coughs> excuse me, the whole dynamic has worked. And, and, um, and Bond knows me inside out. And so, like I said, we're almost teammates. So there's times when I'll be getting a little bit overly stressed if things aren't going as well as I want them to. Maybe the car's not set up properly or whatever. <coughs> excuse me, John. Um, and Bon actually helps me, you know, to sort of say, you know what, let's, uh, let's not take our, our, lose sight of the fact why we're here and what we're doing this for. Let's not get too stressed by it all. So we're, we're really good foils for each other, and that's why I'm so pleased that he wanted me to, to drive with him. And, I, and I'd be a fool at this stage to set up a company that's wanting to take someone to this dream and then not want to be on that journey with him if he wants me to be with him. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I, I, that's why we set the whole thing up. I must admit, like I said at the beginning of this interview, I never expected it to happen this quickly. But the fact that it has is an, it's a nice problem to have. No, it's a brilliant thing. Uh, Johnny Morland, thank you for joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. I'll let you go before, because we've clearly used up all your voice there. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, and enjoy Silverstone and the rest of the WEC season. At the very least, I'll see you at Sebring. Best of luck to you and thanks, Bon John. and Charlie. You'll have a lot of support. You know that. Our listeners oh, love I having know that. you. And, like, and thanks to all the listeners. And hopefully, yeah, just... Uh, just uh, follow us and give us... Uh, we're not expected to come and set the world alight, any of us, but hopefully we'll be there or thereabouts. And one thing that everyone can listening to this will know, we'll be having a blast. You'll be having a lot of fun. Johnny Morland, thanks for joining us on the big interview at Midweek Motorsport. Well, time to get our Australian correspondent on the line. Lots of uh, Australian news to talk about. We can only be, of course, referring to the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend that is Richard Creel. All right, Creel, see how you're doing, mate. I'm, I'm excellent, mate. I, I'm, I'm very happy that we're 1-0 up right now. And, and I'm referring, of course, to the Ashes. Uh, if you're not in Australia or England, the Ashes is a traditional test match series between England and Australia. Uh, Australia currently leading that. It's great. So I, I come to you with a smile on my face with that news alone. I'm, I'm very happy to remind you who the world champions are as well uh, at that point. Uh, and that, was robbed. Robbed. <laughs> Our brothers across the Dutch were absolutely robbed. Uh, and the irony of that is that's the only time ever you'll hear an Aussie uh, shouting for <laughs> New Zealand <laughs> is when they're playing England in anything. Uh, Rich, heck of a lot going on in, in motorsport in Australia uh, at the moment, uh, a lot of it uh, surrounding uh, or at least linked to uh, a single uh, a single person, uh, and that's a guy called James Warburton, who our listeners uh, will, 
I hope remember, was the man at the top of supercar for uh, more than a, a, a wee while. And he's become... He's become a bit of a power broker and a mover and shaker in sport and, crucially, in television as well in uh, Australia. Um, let's start with... Well, I tell you what, we'll, we'll start with... The, uh, the, the, about the only story that I've got on my list that isn't... We'll come back to him in a moment. We'll, we'll, yeah. About the only story on my list that isn't linked in some way, shape or form to James Warburton. We've got three Bathurst stories, all three versions of, of the big races at Bathurst, the 6, the 12 and the 1,000, all in the news recently. Let's talk about the 1,000 because this, this is a fairly easy one to go through. We, we've got an interesting and absolutely internationally box office uh, set of invited drivers for the Australia's great race. Yeah, and it's it's created some movement. I'm looking forward to unpicking all of the the Warburton and stuff, and and some stuff he's involved in is probably it, it's easy to make it sound bigger than his role mm. actually is. There's more more players involved, so we'll bring up to speed on that. But yeah, Bathurst 1000. It's only a couple of weeks away, rather extraordinarily, second weekend in October as is tradition, and uh, a real exciting uh, wild card audition coming up for James Hinchcliffe and Alex Rossi in a third car from Walkinshaw and Ready United. So when you put those three brands together, you can work out where these drivers have come from. Uh, Alexander Rossi's come from the Andretti portion. James Hinchcliffe, rather fortuitously, has now come from the United portion because Zach Brown, who was United, mm. who's running McLaren, just bought into Schmidt-Pedersen Motorsports and that weird and complicated web of motorsport ownership that never seems to get simpler, uh, <laughs> means that we get Hinchcliffe um, back down to Australia. He's actually raced supercars before, believe it or not. He was uh, part of the supercars endurance squad at the international co-driver races on the Gold Coast. Oh, yeah. Ran a couple of years. So he, he came down and did a couple of those and did a really good job, quite capable. Uh, so looking forward to seeing how they go. Um, the, the team is the former Holden Racing team that, that Ryan Walkinshaw since rebranded famous surname of course in the sport mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago Michael Andretti bought in Zach Brown bought in and they've been going through a, a rebuilding process and they've talked uh, since the start of this arrangement that they wanted to add a third car for the Bathurst 1000 and this is their uh, first step towards doing that so really exciting it, it created some big news down here actually it got mm-hmm. a lot of chatter and probably more than I expected it to but I think there's a couple of reasons for that one Everyone knows Alex Rossi, uh, Indy 500 champion, front runner in IndyCar, and probably outside of the States and Canada, I reckon IndyCar's next biggest market may still be Australia, yeah. given Will Power's remarkable run of success and, of course, another victory at Pocono uh, last weekend. Um, so everyone knows Alex Rossi, and everyone knows Hinch, and Hinch is uh, he's a Canadian, so therefore he's a few degrees of separation away from being an Aussie. He's got that great laconic attitude he's a bit of a joker great on social media um and he's got a fan base here so it's a great couple of drivers does indycar still does indycar still rich um benefit from the the holdover from having had races relatively recently i mean for old blokes like me but relatively recently that's is that still in the in the motorsport public psyche yep yeah, definitely it is. I mean, the last one was 2008. 
believe it or not, so on the Gold Coast. Wow, yes, that is a long time. That's 10 years ago now, though, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, the, the, well, yeah time flies, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. So that was the first year of the merger um, yeah. with Champ Car and the IRL. And Ryan Briscoe won that race. It was a non-championship race. Mm. Uh, and Will Power was on pole and still one of the better laps I've ever had the pleasure of, of calling. But uh, I, I digress with that because I could talk about IndyCar <laughs> and the Gold Coast until I'm blue in the mouth because they were, they were incredible, incredible events. Yeah, look, it does. It's still got a following here. And, and uh, I mean, Will winning the Indy 500 two years ago was enormous. And and that was, and I'm not joking, front page news wow. on the papers Good. in Australia, helped by the fact that Daniel Ricciardo won the Monaco Grand Prix the same weekend. Yes, that's right. So it was one of the better weekends in Australian motorsport for a long time. So it's still got a presence there. there and more to that, there was, there's been discussions for now. 12 months, if not more, mm-hmm. about the Queensland government wanting to bring Indy back. Um, and those discussions got to a point where Mark Miles, the CEO of IndyCar, came down to the Gold Coast, was pictured on the beach with the Premier of uh, Queensland and, and talking about that and, and no deal yet, obviously. And it, it seems to have gone pretty quiet, which is really disappointing because I think there's definitely a market for it. But yeah, long story short, they've got profile. It's a great addition and really looking forward to seeing how they go. Uh, Walkinshaw and Andretti United are having an absolutely shocking season. <laughs> they are miles, miles behind the eight ball at the moment, but they always bring their A game for Bathurst. They've got a, a good base set up there. Their cars are always quick, um, good strategy. And over those longer races, what any disadvantage in speed they've got, I think they can probably overcome over a longer distance. So... Looking forward to seeing how that plays out, but great addition to the race and keen to see how they perform. Uh, uh, Alex Rossi in uh, a supercar with his uh, undoubted talent, with his undoubted uh, aggressive driving nature. He won't see himself as a as a rookie. He'll he'll want to fight everybody. I just can't wait to see that. It could be (laughs) carnage. It could be mayhem. But I've he's going to be a quick hinge possibly a little bit more considered, looks longer term, and I can understand why he's in there as an engine. I think I think Hinch, when he decides to step away from IndyCar, will make a great endurance driver. I really do. Mm. Um, Rossi, oof, well, he's box office, though. He, as I say, he's box office. Let's, let's move on to James Warburton, because James Warburton is, uh, as I said, a bit of a mover and a shaker, and he's got his fingers in many pies, including being part of ARG, the Australian Racing Group, who are uh, S5000, who are TCR. They've just taken on the six hours at Bathurst, and they've just taken on Touring Car Masters. Uh, he well known for being uh, part of supercars uh, tv executive he is going back to channel 7 and i'm i'm not sure whether all this we can talk about all of this in in one go because there's so many facets about this let's talk about arg first of all and them yeah. um taking on uh james o'brien good friends of ours at yeehaw events uh who conceived built and developed the Bathurst 12 hours and the Bathurst 6 hours. Um, he has He's not stepping aside completely from the 6 hours, but ERG are coming in. Uh, they are also the preferred organisers of the extra Bathurst event as well. And with the portfolio... Well, they're one of two. Yes. They're one of two Good point. for that. So it's worth it's worth starting at the start with this. So ARG stands for Australian Racing Group, and they are a business that's been 
set up by a group of motor racing people, obviously, headed up by a man called Brian Boyd, who is a very successful uh, property developer in New South Wales and other parts of the world, um, massive racing enthusiast, and through the various companies that he has been at the helm of, he has been an enormous supporter commercially of Australian motor racing. So you'll remember cars with Wilson Security mm-hmm. on it. That was that was driven partly by him. Pace in recent times uh, is an, is another brand that's been on it and Painter Dixon, which is a, a property development and improvement firm as well. So he with Matt Braid, who's a former CEO uh, or former managing director of Supercars and a group of others have set up a business called ARG. Uh, they are running TCR Australia. So that kicked off this year very successfully. They've invested heavily into building a product that they hope in the long term has been sustainable. ARG is also, as you correctly mentioned, behind the new S5000 category, which is a modern take on old school Formula 5000. So they're a a Ligier on-route tub uh, for the international, um, basically Formula 3 spec tub with a five-liter Coyote Ford V8 with 550 horsepower bolted onto the back. Because you um, can't. They debut. No, why not? Because, hashtag because V8. Um, so that that commences in September this year, and they've announced that Rubens Barrichello will be the first driver again, as you do when you want to launch something, launch in style. It's going to be great. I don't know what old Rubens is going to think of Sandown Raceway, but I think it'll blow his mind. Um, so they're behind that. And then recently they've announced that they have purchased the management rights to the Touring Car Masters, which is a very, very popular category that's on the supercars program for retro muscle cars from the late 60s or the early 60s through the late 1970s. Mustangs, Camaros, um, think old school American Trans Am and you're somewhere in the ballpark with a bit of Aussie muscle car mixed in there. Um, they also then in the same week announced that they're going to take over the Bathurst six hour. So they've purchased James O'Brien's share of that event. James stays on as a contractor and ARG will work with the Bathurst Regional Council, who's a 50-50 partner in that event, uh, as they are with supercars in the 12-hour, um, in promoting that. Now, you mentioned the fifth Bathurst event, and I hope this is explaining it all as no, eloquently no, as I can. Perfect. There's a tender for a potential fifth event at Mount Panorama by law, and it's the, an act in New South Wales Parliament. That circuit can only be fully closed for five events a year at the moment there's four 12 hour six hour 1000 and an event called challenge bathurst in november the fifth event went to tender by the bathurst regional council earlier this year they had six submissions to that including our friends at creventic who run the very cool 24 hour series uh, and a host of others that's been whittled down to two there are two tenders one of them is arg uh, and their proposal details are thin on the ground but um what we understand is that it will be an international TCR event plus other categories. So whether it's WTCR initially or not, we don't know, but TCR New Zealand starting soon. By the way, they're also behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's TCR China, there's TCR Asia. It's quite strong in the region. International stuff at Bathurst works, tick the box, that'd be really cool. The other competing interest for that fifth Bathurst event is supercars. Mm-hmm. So from their promotional arm, They've put a proposal forward, and again, details are very thin on the ground, but from what is understood in the industry, it's a festival-style event, so completely different from what's there now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a cliche, but think Goodwood Festival yeah. Um, yeah. Along, along those lines. So that's where ARG sits in the picture. Now, James Warburton 
was brought on earlier this year as a non-executive director. So he sits on the board, oversees things, probably doesn't have an enormous amount of sway in how it's operated, but what he's got is business now. He's got contacts and he's got, he's got the commercial backing, I suppose, to help grow this series. And he, he is a very valuable person to have on board. But recently, as in last week, was announced that he's going back full-time to run Channel 7 in Australia, which is at the moment Australia's largest commercial free-to-air TV network. And there are other properties, which includes a magazine group, a couple of newspapers and, and a whole bunch of other radio stations as well. So he's gone back to Channel 7. He'll be running that as the CEO. Massive job. Um, and he's got a big job to do there, Creelsey, because they've not been performing uh, very well. Results uh, for the first part of the year, uh, not great. But the, the news of, of, of James Warburton going back there had a little spike in the, the share price. Um, they haven't been the quickest to embrace uh, online and, and pay-per-view. Uh, and it's that's seen as a, as a deficiency with Seven. But you know, you you say Channel Seven, and and a lot of people around the world say, "Well, oh, okay, so it's one channel." It, it's this is a huge yeah. media conglomerate, which includes Seven Sport, which is where the Liquid Molly uh, Bathurst Twelve Hours uh, gets aired every year in full in throughout the day on a Sunday. I mean, this is this is a big big media organisation, and one has to ask, surely then. Uh, with various contracts coming up for grabs in the next year to eighteen months in Australian motorsport, uh, this could be a, this could be a good time for James Warburton to combine his two really big areas of expertise. He's a great salesman. Uh, he's be, been proved to that at the point. He clearly knows his way around motorsport, having been the man at the head of supercars for a while. Um, this could be a really good time for James and for Channel Seven. Yeah, 100% right. Uh, Seven has an enormous sports rights holding as well. So they are the free-to-air broadcaster for Australian Rules Football, which is the highest, most-watched sport on Australian TV. Uh, And last summer was their first as the free-to-air broadcaster for cricket in Australia. So the Test Match summer, uh, some of the one-dayers, and, of course, the Big Bash, which is the ratings Mm -hmm. bonanza now for uh, for T20 cricket in Australia. Um, Yeah, so so where does does – James sit in all of this is the interesting question and how this plays out. And I mean, the guy probably hasn't even got his business cards printed yet. So he's still trying to work out which way he'd like his desk oriented in his office in Melbourne before he works out which way um, the TV rights market's going. But as a former CEO of supercars, he was the one that brokered the deal in 2014, 241 million Australian to get supercars on Fox and channel 10 and at the time, it was a vital deal for supercars. And it, it saying it saved the sport is an overreaction because it would have continued. Yeah. But it was a massive, massive bonus for the sport that at the time was really hurting financially. It was absolutely vital that they do that deal. And people still complain to this day that it's on pay TV and they can't watch everything. And that's just the way the media world works now in that you, you can't have everything on free to air because it's not commercially viable for the sports to do that or the the industry to support that. And that that's just a, a fact of life that people have to adapt to. But there's a split between free-to-air and Fox, and Fox ultimately, News Limited, are the ones paying a lot of the bill. So it works for them. And it's worth noting that supercars are one of the few sports this year with a, an increase in TV ratings in yeah. Australia. AFL, Australian Rules Football, is up about 4%. 
the National Rugby League has had a massive drop this year and their overall audiences are down like 25%. Um, Supercars ratings on Fox Sports are up 14% year on year and that's a pretty substantial gain. Um, and of the regular sports that run calendar year and we take cricket out of the equation, it's the third most watched sport on Fox wow. Sports. So that's significant and, and that's that's the key thing that will drive the next media rights deal here in Australia and, and supercars will be a big player in that in a time where these companies are starting to see less and less return from these massive dollar sports rights investments. So they're, they're starting to put the brakes on spending a billion dollars on getting football rights and a billion dollars on getting rugby rights. So mm. improving your product will be good. James has that insight because he did the deal. Yes. So if he decides that Channel 7 wants to get back into supercars, then he's perfectly geared for that. The other thing is that he could go, well, if we don't get supercars, we'll invest in TCR yes. as a product yes. and, and take that on, much in the same way that Seven has with the Bathurst 12 hour earlier in the year. And my final point on this, JH, is this, is that, and, and it won't surprise you to know, there's a bit of wrinkle between supercars and ARG. So they don't get on particularly well at the moment. And, and there's a bit of an opposition and, and some possible fears that supercars are worried about TCR taking on their turf and a bit of vice versa. So uh, Warburton could ironically end up bringing them together because he's mm-hmm. going to be controlling the purse strings for one of the biggest broadcasters in the country. And he could go, listen, I want both of you, get your act together. Let's all play in the one sandpit and build the sport as a whole. And by the way, we'll show it all on Channel 7. That's all completely hypothetical, but it's it's a possibility. Uh, what it looks to me um, is that ERG are building a very nice portfolio, though. Uh, and and mm. what you've got there, possibly for the first time in a long time, possibly even in a generation, is a genuine uh, alternative to a, a supercar event with its supports. Now, I, I'm yeah. not at all seeing that... TCR Australia are are going to immediately come in at the level of supercar. Of course, it isn't. But for certainly for a, an international savvy audience in Australia, motorsport audience in Australia is pretty international and and pretty savvy. Yeah. Adding touring car masters, S five thousand TCR, and you know one other support series. All of a sudden, Krilza, you'd have a pretty compelling reason to go and buy a ticket to that, or sit down in front of your telly and watch that over yeah. a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and you're bang on. And, and while they haven't said as much, it's pretty clear that they are building a a pretty formidable little program of their own. And, and already this year with TCR and the investment they put into that, the events that TCR is on the Shannon's Nationals program has grown. Mm. Crowds are up. Uh, they've, they've done a free-to-air TV deal with SBS, um, which, which ironically the Bathurst 12-hour started, started. way back in 2014. Yeah. yeah, they showed the last couple of hours live. Amazing race. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so – and already it's pointing in the right direction. So add a, a big banger, wings and slicks category with S5000, add in some TCM rounds potentially, and those cars are hugely popular. And you've got guys like John Bow and Stephen Johnson driving mm-hmm. them. Um and you build a program that people want to go and pay money for. Now, is it going to do the same kind of numbers that Supercars does? Of course it's not. Supercars has got massive resources. They've got a massive TV deal that pays them. Um, they, they've got all the aces up their sleeve. But like you say, there's nothing wrong with an alternative. Um, and having a viable, I don't want to call it second tier because that undersells it. But alternative. You know what I mean? It's an alternative 
Um, the sport hasn't had that in Australia no. since uh, the super touring days, probably when we had two leader cars and the V8s going head to head. So uh, is there a market for it? That's the billion dollar question. Yes. Can the sport sustain, sustain it? it. Um, good question. Don't know. But um, I tell you it's, what, it's I, bet pretty a, interesting time. I bet there's a few racetracks that will be rubbing their hands with glee at the thought of a, a another big ticket event coming uh, to to their racetracks. Creelsey, it's a ex- very exciting and interesting time down under. Thanks for giving of your time to speak to us here on Midweek Motorsport. We'll keep an eye on it and uh, as these stories develop, if you wouldn't mind, we'll have you back on again. Of course. Anytime, hopefully, when it's like uh, a 3-1, three, three maybe we'll give you one test. Oh, we just uh, seem to be losing, Creelsey. Yeah, 3-1, 3-0, 3-0, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. See you, mate. Uh, Nick, this weekend you're in sound and vision for a million. Hang on, one million dollars worth of race prize. Yeah, I'm making my first foray into esports commentary. So I'm going from the scale motorsport to the virtual motorsport, and I am uh, yeah, I'm having to do an awful lot of homework. World's fastest gamer, Silverstone, and a million dollar race prize up. For grabs, are you ready for this, Nick? No, but I'm very pleased I'll be getting the full 40% oh. cut. 40%, I like that. Excellent stuff. Uh, that will probably get you through the next two and a half months of your petrol bill on your <laughs> cheap transfer. <laughs> Tomorrow Tractor. night. Yes. Uh, we have uh, more esports, but with the Tour Radio Show. Ah, excellent. Tour Radio Show for August, uh, one of two shows in August, and uh, they will be here at 8 o'clock on RS1 tomorrow night. In the meantime, no time to explain because the llama is virtually counting its money. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.